Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. Well, here we are again for another edition of Emil Franzing's Voices of the West. I'm Harry Alexander. Bunker to France is here in Los Angeles. It's Todd Roberts. Howdy. Howdy. And our guest is Mark Langley. He's back with us. Mark uh, Edward Langley. Mark Edward Langley. We had him on about, a, what, a year ago? One, one year and two weeks. Wow. That's pretty good. I went back and listened to the show, and you know what? Mm-hmm. Mark, you did a darn good show. Well, look at that. Yeah. How about that well, stuff? Well, <laughs> Well, I got a couple of little pieces of... Uh, housekeeping. House, housekeeping here. And this yeah. is just... Uh, I want to mention a couple of folks uh, that are members of the Western Music Association, as is our guest today. Uh, Doug Hawking won a Will Rogers medallion for terror on the Santa Fe Trail, Kid Carson and Hickory Apache, and our good friend Chris Enns won a Will Rogers medallion for According to Kate, the legendary life, uh, Big Nose Kate, Love of Doc Holiday, and we had her on the show talking about that. Studio audience applause. Yeah, well, I wish we had an applause machine. And now, this is just something I want to share for you. Uh, another WMA member, uh, Sherry Monahan, uh, is doing a podcast now Uh-oh. with uh, Marshall Trimble. It's called Marshall and the Madam, mm-hmm. where myths and mysteries of the frontier get revealed. And I listened to just a little piece of it. They've got they've got a bunch of them already done, and it is it's a hoot. And she is probably the culinary Western expert. She's yes, written, she's written a book on Western booze and drinking and coffee bars and food. And yeah, just, yeah. God, I, I recommend that show. Uh, just look up the Marshall and the Madam. I should get you there. If not, uh, look up Sherry Monahan or Marshall Trimble. And that should get you there. All right. That's it. Well, that was short. That's all the snooze is willing to snooze. Well, that's awfully short. Mark Edward Langley, welcome back to our microphones. How's it been? It's been fantastic. I'm so glad to be back. Did you miss us? <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> I miss the most. <laughs> he paid you to say that, didn't he? <laughs> we just started the show, John. You're already playing favorites. Well, you know, it's, it, I, I, I expect you to say Bunker Who. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, where, where would you start from? Well, we can start with the fact that uh, you're the author of the award-winning, that's award-winning, uh, author Nakai Mystery Series, and uh, you've got a new book coming out. Uh, we did, the last time we did uh, uh, Death Waits in the Dark, I just finished reading The Path of the Dead because I didn't have a copy of The Siren Screams. <laughs> but I enjoyed oh, it. Yeah, and I thought, I thought for sure they'd pass that around. You know the post office, they're probably sitting down there enjoying it right now. As long as they're enjoying it, that's okay. But, uh, yeah, I did, you just, it, it, it is such a pleasure to read your work. I, think, I, I, hate, I hate to fawn on people. Like a and stuff like that. You're a good writer. You write well. You, 
you you know you've got people characters that that are real world people. They're not you know they're not superheroes. They're not they're not Sherlock Holmes fallible and bad shit happens to them and they survive. Just like life. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I think. I, I tried to make every. I consider not really a character, but I think they are people in my story. Mm-hmm. And I think that I try to make. I give each of them something to make them more human uh, in that aspect because they're more relatable that way. Sure. You know, people can maybe see themselves acting in a certain way or the same way or, or saying something similar to that, you know, or getting the situation kind of like whatever they had going on. So it kind of. It makes I think one reason a lot of my fans have said on, on social media and so forth and messaging me that you know they really love the characters, they love the people in the book because it just makes them think and makes them feel, and um, I like that. I like I like that they're responding in the way that I think they would. For the uninitiated, describe Arthur Nakai. Oh, Arthur is a. 10-year military veteran from the Marines, um, did some tours in the Middle East. He was a 12-year veteran of the uh, Border Patrol in a group called the Shadow Wolves, which actually does exist, uh, 15 Native American trackers along the border in, uh, in Arizona. Uh, so he uses his skills from both of those to then now appropriately do the job he is now, aside from his running his hustling uh, business. And he is, is he's a, a law enforcement officer on the, or not a private detective? Yeah, I thought that was a good way to go because it, it enabled him to do more things and have a little more freedom, a little more leeway um, in that. <clears throat> so I, I turned him into a private detective uh, to be able to get in more things and do more uh, things legally uh, than just be somebody off, you know, writing wrongs and so forth, you know. But they're not a vigilante, as we'll say, you know. But uh, a lot of people like that. And uh, I kind of paid homage um, to Tony Hillerman in that, yeah. you know, that Lee uh, Gordon turned in to be a, a private detective. And in one, one portion of the book, uh, somebody tells him, you know, well, uh, private, uh, a private, yeah, private detective of uh, Native America. I'm not the first. Well, you know, it's in, sure. it, when you read your books, it's almost a natural progression because because of his military experience and then his experience with the border patrol. Uh, he's now, you know, back home on the reservation. He has a little business, but uh, because of situations that happened in the first book, uh, I think it brings out in him the realization that uh, he has this gift. And, and in the second book, you know, it definitely it becomes even more prominent, you know, with the, with the uh, Navajo police captain. You know, he's almost encouraging him in some ways. And you, you see that natural progression, and it makes sense, you know. And again, he, he's, not, he's not, you know, he's not Sam Spade, you know, getting hit in the head with a gun ball or, 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 or he's, he's, <laughs> with a blackjack yeah. yeah he just he runs in it's the situations that he deals with are the situations that exist on the reservation mm-hmm. and, and in society in general exactly yeah yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I think that it's a natural progression to go that route because even the characters have to grow the people in there have to grow as I grow as being a writer you know and um, I think 
that it would just it opens up so much more of a, of a vast area to, to cover. Uh, you can get into so many different things, being you know the private detective has a lot more leeway with things. So I, I like the fact that he'll be able to grow more as the books progress. Oh, and I want to congratulate you on your gold medal winner for uh, best mystery from Feather Quill Book Awards. That's that's nice. Thanks, I appreciate that. Yeah, now, as, as far as the uh, whole July, Death um, Waits has now won three awards. Um, the first was a finalist in the American Book uh, Fest Awards, then it won the award there in Frederick Quill, and it just won um, an award from, of all things, the Public Safety Writers Association uh, for his group and so forth from there. I love that. And then When Silence Screams just came in at the second place winner from the Public Safety uh, Writers Association now that he's a, a private detective and all. But uh, it, it's amazing that these things are happening that you never thought would happen. And you kind of hoped, you know, but yeah, it's, a, it's a hope against hope situation sometimes. But you're well, just excited when it does happen. It's the results of hard work and doing your homework and, and just being the persistent and also uh, you mentioned the broken glass uh, you might tell the folks a little bit that at the release date is the 31st of this month if, not, if I'm not mistaken um, yeah for uh, for when silent screams is the 31st that's yeah. the one I meant excuse me yeah, yeah. Um, that one I think it's one of the best ones I've done or not the best one so far uh, a lot of research went into this because when you're a writer you research things you have nothing you have nothing about you know um so i had to learn and i i, I love the fact that i found um it just reached me to make a story about the missing and murdered indigenous mm-hmm. we talked about that last time i was on you know but um the fact all the videos i watched with the family members all the uh, documentary things i watched all the stories i read and so forth it, it just struck me to the core that I don't want to do information dumps on things, but I want to just tell people what's going on, right. and if they can just raise a little bit of awareness of people that didn't know in the first place uh, that this was going on, this is a wildly rampant thing, <coughs> that um, I wanted to, to help in some way. And then again, like, like I mentioned in the book in the beginning there, in the acknowledgments that uh, a portion of the sales of this book I'm going to donate to the group missing murder in Indigenous women. Oh, good. Well, I want to, while we're talking about that, I want to mention their phone number in case somebody would like to contact for information. It's 503-891-0040. And that's the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women USA. Yeah, because every, every dollar they make uh, unlike some charities and so forth and some organizations, goes toward the families. And that's one thing I thought was amazing with that, that if somebody is missing and then found out of state and the family can't afford to bring them back, uh, they will then pay that charge to bring the, the remains back so they can be buried, um, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the where they're from right there. Um, they supply, you know, food, they supply clothing, everything they would need they help supply to a lot of the people that are families affected by that. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's, a, it's such a needy thing, and, and 
it's sad that you know, it's hard to try and bring attention to it. You know, you get a lot of attention to the, the uh, slave trade with folks coming across the border, but uh, you know, this has been a problem that's been going on for a lot, lot longer, and it's just totally swept under the table for most of the media and even the people that supposedly have social conscience. Exactly, yeah. I mean, you, you never hear about it. I mean, I it was brought up once in the last four or five years, you know, and then, like my character says in the book, when it's a, a missing white girl from a golf course, it's all over the news, everybody knows about it, but when you have 5,712 girls and women go missing in a year and no one knows about it, that's the tragedy. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this, because, you know, this is, this is, because uh, I'm from New Mexico and I get the New Mexico Reedosa paper, and there's been, we've actually been giving some coverage over there about uh, re- the returning of the bodies of the children that were, you know, basically murdered in boarding schools in Canada and yeah. the U.S., and they're bringing them back home by the hundreds. I know that's that's uh, incredible. I could not believe that. I, I, I had in the things I've watched and seen and read over the years. I, I kind of thought that that would be the case, you know. But now to see it come to fruition, that it actually happened that way, and it's it's, it's just it's a travesty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I grew up in Redosa, you know, from my house to uh, one of the houses we lived in to the reservation line, the Mescalero line. It was like about three and a half miles, and went to school with the Mescalero kids, and, and uh, you know, you the the Indian people, the native first indigenous people, they they don't talk about this, and and that's I think that's part of the problem too, is because they have a lot of pain that they have been uh, suppressing for years, and they're just now starting to get to. Uh, vocalize it and you're seeing it help them come back alive a little bit yeah yeah it's a good thing it needs to be talked about and brought out there and you know history is history it can't be changed at this point you know it needs to be brought out and discussed and some people will like it and some people won't and that's that's the joy of america everybody has a chance to agree or disagree but you know it doesn't mean it didn't happen you know but I don't like to be, you know, belabor uh, things like that and so forth, you know. But, I mean, I just felt that I wanted to create a story of a fictional 19-year-old girl yeah. updated to the point that she falls for a fake online profile and meets a person while her, par- her parents are doing the uh, Native American uh, jewelry show and so forth there at the Palace of Governors and never is seen again. That happens. Mm-hmm. Those things happen. I think the, the, the one thing that really struck me that was brand new is when one character in there says that no matter where you go in the state could be the last place somebody was seen. Well, you know, the other thing, too, which doesn't get a lot of, definitely gets no talker, is that the young boys that are affected by that. And yep. and then even, you know, even the elders uh, sometimes, for some reason or another, turn up missing uh, with you know no explanation. Oh yeah, you can see them. I get I get flyers on my phone every week uh, that show up of anybody from the age of eight years old to, to 55 and 64 years old. I mean, so it's it's male, it's female now. Um, that's one of the things that uh, MMIW does is 
they focus on the male ones as well that are missing, and they post those flyers and get things out and word out and trade them around as best you can on uh, social media so your people that you know on there get a chance to see it. And who knows what will happen one day, but you might see somebody, you never know, you know. Yeah. But um, it's going on a lot, and there still is white vans roaming the not you know reservations out there just picking up uh, people and taking off and you never see them again and it, it, again in the book there somebody talks you know says that, you know, well it's like you don't know what you miss when that happens because mm-hmm. we don't understand that that's not what happens to us we don't understand that but to somebody it does happen to whether it be somebody in Chicago there's two missing black girls that have been missing now for like 8 or 10 years you know yeah. and you, 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 the things you don't have after that loved one is missing, um, if, it's a, if it's a girl, then you're missing, you know, graduations and school and maybe, you know, getting married, proms, babies and so forth. Every year, your life from that point on is gone. You know, it's... Uh, With that child. It's, it, you're missing out on everything after that. Right. Well, you know, when, uh, when I was still living in California working in the picture business, sometimes we would uh, shoot at nights in downtown LA and for the most time, most of the time we would use the same parking lot and it was right across from the Indian mission, you know, and that, that is heartbreaking because you see, you know, there's a lot of indigenous people that have migrated to LA, you know, for, for work or whatever and mm-hmm. it is so sad, it's, it's a school in itself just to, just to see them study in sociology yeah all right <clears throat> we got to do our yeah. first commercial break here our guest is mark edward langley mm-hmm. he's back with us uh, talking about the arthur nakai Mysteries series harry alexander bunker de france and todd roberts this is amo Franzi's voices of the west yeah. and we'll be back after these important messages Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west, where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships. 
and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you as they did us design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. Served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Slap some bacon on a biscuit and let's go. We're burning daylight. This is the Voices of the West. Emil Francis, Voices of the West, Harry Alexander, Booker DeFrance, and Todd Roberts. A little bit of Bob Wills there, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Slap a biscuit on that bacon <laughs> and let's go. Our guest, Mark Edward Langley, author of the Arthur Nakai series, of which there are now three books out, forthcoming out uh, next year, I believe. Yeah. Next year. Next August, yeah. I want to ask you a quick question, and maybe we can move on to something else. But Jez uh, for today, the firewood for Grandpa—that's that's a good organization, and you, you support it. Uh, would you like to do a little promo for them while we got you here? Yeah, because nowadays, of course, in the, in the middle of summer and so forth, they're delivering water uh, now uh, on bats in the back of back of pickup trucks, back of trailers, and so forth. So. Uh, it's a worthwhile thing that I donate to because I think it's, it's as anybody knows about the reservation like that, there's so mm-hmm. much of it that has no water. Everybody takes it for granted, like they said in the, in the second book there, when, he, when Arthur was talking to a guy talking about water, he says, obviously you've never carried your own, you know how, how important it is, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, you know, there they do winter, uh, firewood in the wintertime to make sure all the Hogan's the people out there have firewood to burn to stay warm. In the summertime, they're delivering water. So it's a vital, I think, uh, organization for mm-hmm. people to get to. They can go on my website and find a link to that. And if they want to donate, that's fine. You know, um, They can use all the help they can get and uh, obtain what they have to obtain and in the, in the getting water and firewood to people. So how, how much time do you spend in New Mexico? I understand you have a house in uh, Indiana and you split uh, time. Yeah, my wife and I go there. Uh, of course, COVID put a stop to that last year. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I had uh, I had plans to go out there and do some more research, you know, and all of a sudden everything got shut down, so there we go, you know. Yeah. Uh, I had to rely on being out there before in certain areas that I was focused on in the third book, uh, places I've been, so I knew basically what was out there uh, as far as that goes. But um, I, I would love to get out there with more. Uh, my wife and I are thinking... Hopefully, uh, if things go well, to, to move out there, maybe in a year or two, you know, and uh, find a place, uh, either in Farmington or Santa Fe, somewhere like that. But uh, I, I love to get out there and, and see things. Because, you know, you can, okay, you can go to Google Earth as much as you want, but without being there, you don't get <laughs> right. yeah. what it feels yeah. like. You don't, yeah. you don't feel the heat or the cold. You don't smell, you don't smell the smell. You know, 
you don't taste anything, you don't mm-hmm. experience the land that it is, so you can convey that on the page, you know. And luckily, I've been out there enough <laughs> since I was twelve, you know, that uh, a lot of that still rings through. I can, I can visualize that and I see that. And uh, the last time out there was a couple of years ago, and uh, that was great. So I want to get back out there as more. Of, it, it'd be good if I could live there because I wouldn't have to travel out there to go to the places right. I have to go in the books and go to the locations uh, to get things, you know, pinned down, you know, but. Um, just pick up and drive, and I'm there in a half hour. It'd be great. Well, so. you move out. You move out there, then you probably start writing stories about cowboys in Indiana. <laughs> you have to go back there. Well, you know, uh, let's just for, let's just for a second hop into Professor Peabody's Wayback Machine. There you go. And let's take that little trip to the Four Corners area. And there's this little twelve-year-old boy there for the first time, and he's seeing all that. Tell us, Mark, what that little 12-year-old boy thought. As best as I can recollect, I was just amazed. I was amazed by, I use the word now, grandeur of, of the Rocky Mountains, you know, and, and all the land that's around there. And uh, I know my parents and I went to uh, Mesa Verde and saw a lot of things. Mesa Verde was the first place that I'd seen like that. Mm-hmm. And then... On subsequent trips, I did Chaco Canyon and a lot of them, you know. Oh, wow. um, it's that first time was just my dad was out there, my mom was out there in a 72 Ford Galaxy 500, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it, was, uh, it was an experience, you know, yeah. But uh, my dad wanted to go see certain things. He loved the West, I think, almost as much as I do. And uh, when he was alive, he was go this and he he loved Charles Russell he loved Remington you know um, I, I went to Montana and saw Russell's uh, house and studio up there came back and told him all about that he said I should have went yeah you should have went yeah I should go you know <laughs> but, uh, but yeah and leave mom at home whatever you know but, uh, but that first time I think I think seeing Mesa Verde was like one of the, the biggest experiences that that I could have as a 12 year old and I think it just sealed you know solidified what I felt about that and things just grew from there and it's like it's like a second home for me now out there because I can I can drive into the area and the minute I hit the red landscape you're coming in from you know Utah or whatever I feel like I'm home Mm -hmm. it's amazing as you see landmarks they just become more and more and more it's like it seems like you're moving faster, but taking longer to get there. Yeah, I, uh, I exactly. re- relate so, relate to that. Well, yeah. Todd, go ahead. So, Mark, um, I I have to admit that I'm 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 way behind the curve here, and I have not read your books, and I don't know your character other than that he's obviously a Navajo. Um, but how do you deal with you know the the mystical? Uh, transcendental side of the Indian experience. You know, are are you dealing with skinwalkers and fourth dimension or any of that stuff, or you kind of keep it because he's trying to keep it on the straight and narrow and be as scientific as possible? Well, that's a good question because in in the first book, a little bit, in the second book, for sure, um, I deal with the metaphysical. You know, of like Arthur has a uh, a part in the second book where he gets shot at in the truck, flips the truck, and ends up being, you know, in a hospital after that. But I thought, what better way 
to bring him back into this world than for him to be taken to each of the worlds of the Navajo on his way back to this world. So he went through the first world, the second world, the third world, the fourth world, Uh and then he wakes up with his wife by his side, and he's trying to figure out throughout that why is he being shown that, you know. And I do delve into some things in in several of the books that uh, are like that. He's always, it's a a typical thing of walking in two worlds because you have the beliefs of your ancestral past and you have the beliefs of the current world, you know. So you're you're trying to juggle the two of them and then come to grips with both of those so that everything you know, it turns out fine. So it gets a bit metaphysical sometimes, you know, because you have to, I think I want to have that so that the readers maybe who don't know any of the folk mythology of, of the Native Americans can get a, a, uh, a bit of an introduction into that. Maybe it'll spur them to read something more or someone else's right. uh, book about that, you know. Um, it did so when I first heard about that and felt about that, I started reading books about it, yeah. So now, when you, um, you know, as a boy, growing, taking trips to the West and watching Westerns on TV, whether they were movies or they were, or your dad took you to the theater or it was The Rifleman or Gunsmoke or whatever it was, what is it oh, yeah. that has stuck with you to this day in your, shall I say, reference of the West that sticks with you today that you're trying to emulate or that inspires you still or you're trying to find yourself as close to that as possible uh, is it an actor is it a genre is it a, a writer is it a filmmaker or, or what is it I think that uh, I grew up born in 1960 people say your formative years are like you know from 10 to 20 for me it was like from 20 to 30 you know so I mean but uh, growing up John Wayne was my number one hands-down favorite. I began collecting motion picture memorabilia of John Wayne for decades, you know. Um, I have a large collection of that. Uh, post- wow. Anything I could find, whether it be a lobby card, a poster, or a full, you know, one sheet, a you know, six sheet, you know. I've got things from his first movie of uh, Window Card from Mother McCree up to his last movie and the shooters. I'm missing a few things in the 30s, the, the serials, you know. But uh-huh. I have a lot of that in my collection. I have Tyrone Power and Meryl Flynn and so forth and Jimmy Stewart, yeah, you know. But um, I, I like to think that Arthur is like a modern-day person with a coat, you know, that he, he hates people who treat women badly. He hates people that abuse him. He hates anybody who does anything uh, out of the ordinary that is wrong like that. Definitely a point going after people that uh, have this 19-year-old girl in this thing in third book because um, you know it's part of who he is. He he has a respect for women that comes from his upbringing. You know. And what and area is it that he's he's concentrated in? What part of Navajo land, or uh, where is he? He is just off off uh, the reservation there in a fictional white mesa that I created uh, north of Farmington, um, up in that area there. Uh, Farmington, New Mexico. Yeah. Uh, his, his, uh-huh. his, wife, his wife's father 
lives across the border in Cayenta in Arizona, you know. Um, people he knows are all through the reservation and so forth, that they're all family, you know, that he knows. But um, uh, he, 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 I think he brings, I'm trying to have him bring to that um, a moral, a moral center, if you will, I guess, to the way he believes and how he acts. And his, his actions are a result of how he believes and how he feels. You know, what his, his journey through the four worlds, that was my favorite part of the book. And, but also, I, you know, you, you dealt with not just him, but several of his Marine Corps uh, compadres dealing, dealing with post-traumatic stress. And you, you explain how he got through it, basically through the spirit way. And, you know, that, that's, that is one of the things that they found that helps a lot of, a lot of veterans non-indigenous non uh, is going through Indian spiritual uh, uh, encampments and actually going through ceremonies and you know the purification and all of the different well, things. They're extremely powerful ceremonies. Yes, they are. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, they just are. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, you know, it, but I do have a question though, because you brought up the wreck how in the world will he ever replace the Bronco? <laughs> well, that is in the... That was a character book. in itself. In itself, I chose that not for the, because anybody else has got it on television or whatever, but when I was in my teens, I loved the full-size Bronco. Uh, you know, I, I loved the full-size Bronco. I couldn't get enough of it. Uh, <laughs> never had one. I knew four-wheel drive buddies of mine that had, had them. We were doing, you know, bogging and doing rides and so forth. I loved all that. Um, so I thought, I'm going to put Arthur in the vehicle that I love. You know, mm -hmm. and I, I told my wife, you know, be, I said, beware. The minute I can afford to buy one, I buy <laughs> yep. You know, <clears throat> because you know, I, I, I have to have. I'm 61 years old. But I will have to have either a 78 up to 83 Bronco. <laughs> well, you know, you look at right, you. Right on. That is a great truck, your, and I knew a lot of guys that had them. <laughs> and I'm jealous like you, yes. <laughs> you know, you look at your background, you know, the, the work that you did for around 30 years, it was in the yep. automobile industry with trucks, with parts. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, I, I could see that, that Bronco becoming an obsession. Because I feel that oh, yeah. same I, way I about the old power wagon. Oh, there you go. Hey, there we, you go. Yeah, and, then, and now you, you know, well, you, by reading that uh, that second book, you know, that's what uh, what uh, Sykes drives in the in the second book. He drives that yellow power wagon. All right. We got to do another commercial break here. We're talking with Mark Edward Langley, author, and uh, he's written the Arthur Nakai mystery series. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, and Todd Roberts will be back with much more after this. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. 
The Polash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Polash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. Contact the Polash Management Company today at polashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Polash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent on our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 ski fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting plays courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSki.com. You've got some cattle you want rustled, but don't have enough henchmen of your own to do the job. Little lady up the road a piece won't strike a deal with you about water rights. You out there! Come one step near and old Bess here will spit right in your eye. So you need to strike your own deal. You need the right henchman to do the job. The stage is hauling a Wells Fargo box loaded with gold. You've got the perfect spot to liberate that gold, but like henchmen to pull off the job. What to do? You better start packing a handgun. Call Red a Hench. We're a bad guy rental agency. We provide you with enough scruffy henchmen to tackle any job with specific directions. Just listen to what Red a Hench users have to say. Well, you know, when I joined Red a Hench, I was trained by Bud Osborne, Charlie King, and some of the best head henches there ever was. And I'm going to guarantee you that you cannot hench without the proper henches around you. And that's just a gentle hench. When you need sheer numbers of henchmen, call us. We specialize in stage holdups, water right disputes, squatter troubles, cattle rustling, and much more. Our rent henchmen may not be able to think their way out of a paper bag, but they sure can follow directions, and they won't sing to the law about you if they get caught. See our ad in the Saturday Evening Post or Harper's Weekly. Hey, not only that, when you're in the Long Branch and you want to go next door to Doc's to get that bullet out of your shoulder, get a rent to sit there on your place and keep your whiskey warm while you're gone. Rent-a-hench, when you need bad guys to do bad guy stuff so you can keep your hands clean. You let me do the work. Yosemite Sam! It's Yosemite Sam! Yosemite! Yosemite. Yeah, Yosemite Sam! Yosemite! Yeah, Yosemite Sam! The roughest, toughest he-man, stuffest hombre has ever crossed the Rio Grande! You know, he ain't no man be pandy! This is the Voices of the West. We're back on Amo Franzi's Voices of the West Area. Alexander Bunker to France and John Roberts, our guest... Mark Edward Langley. And there ain't no hanky-panky. 
around here. Uh, Mark, for your next book, you need to hire some of our uh, our henches uh, from Red Hench. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah, you know. Well, you know, we'll we'll menace with great relish. <laughs> oh, and they work for beer. That's it. Or peanuts. Oh, <laughs> Salted walnuts. Hey, I want to I want to commend. I don't know if you if you were in the making of the choice, but. Uh, for the audio books for uh, uh, Bronson Pinchot, he does a wonderful job. Yeah, he does. does. He really does. Great voice. Yeah, he does. He does. Yeah, I, I am very uh, grateful that he does that. You know, he uh, when the first book was getting was getting done, they they sent me four people to listen to reading the same passage in the first book, and my wife and I sat and listened to them all, and he was the only one <clears throat> out of the three. It seemed like he wasn't just reading it. Mm-hmm. He gave the characters in their life. He, he breathed life into them. They they, they had picked up mannerisms uh, and so forth. I, it came alive. So I go, that this is the guy. It's an art. It is. When you were doing all of the research <clears throat> for the uh, for your first book and and subsequent books, obviously you spent time on the Navajo reservation and. I'm, I'm just curious, how forthcoming were the Navajo with some of their uh, ceremonies and, and, and way, social mores and such uh, to the white man? Well, as far as that goes, I, I did sit with a few of them on the talk one day, and um, they asked a lot of questions, wanted to make sure of my reasons for wanting to write about the Navajo people. And uh, make sure we're trying to exploit things and so forth. And uh, it was a pretty good half hour, 45 minutes of conversation on that. And then um, one of the gentlemen that I was talking to, um, he uh, was lucky enough to be off that day to have some free time because uh, he is the foremost uh, knowledgeable person of the geological area and botanical area of the four corners of the different the, you know, the major person up there. He teaches and lectures at universities, takes university students out in the field, uh, and teaches them all these areas and so forth. So I sat down with him and he said, well, where do you want to go? I said, well, I want to go, you know, to the, the portion, the paces in my book, so I know the areas around there and what to expect. And, you know, you can maybe teach me what happens and so forth there. So we went around a lot of places, you know, and he talked about the geological area that's there, um, what people do there now he gave me instances of well like the person with the, the biggest names around certain areas as far as last names like Tom you know in certain areas um, uh, for the Navajo so he opened up a lot of things and, and gave me a lot of botanical information a lot of geological information a lot of history and uh, uh, of the Navajo people like in the second book the, the scene opens up in the first chapter right there um, that actually is a place that I was, a picture of me is on the book at that area right there, and he told me about the historical things that happened on there, the eagle catching ceremonies and the crevices of the canyon wall and so forth. And, uh, well, it was a wealth of information. I was lucky enough to uh, digitally record a lot of things that he said there. Like, I'm never going to remember it all, you know, <laughs> I'm right. record it. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> he taught me a great deal and still to this day. Great deal on things on Facebook and so forth, and 
Uh, he was recently uh, highlighted in the Enchantment magazine, too. Is that Arnold Clifford you're talking about? That, you got it. That's him. Okay. Great. Yep, I count him as a, as a friend, yeah. Oh. Well, you know, I, I just I was just looking at my notes here, and I, I'm seeing that you are a joiner. Uh, West Mystery Writers of America, Western Writers of America, International Thriller Writers, Public Safety Writers Association, and I got some others down here. But uh, it, it seems to me that you are using the, you know the art of networking and also in, in a group of people that are very giving and edu- you know, willing to educate and share their knowledge. And you're part of that group now, and you're, do- you're doing what they were doing. You're sharing your knowledge. Well, I hope to be able to, to enlighten people, you know, and, and let them see things they wouldn't normally see if they don't get out in the Southwest and so forth. And you know, I'm glad that they were able to share what they did with me, and I... I I hold it in the honor that they did, you know, because they want to make sure that you're not going to do anything uh, shady or so forth, you know. But uh, once they realized I had a honest, you know, look toward this, that I wanted to do things in the writing that dealt with what they deal with on a daily basis, um, they like that aspect that I'm covering things that uh, don't normally get covered uh, in fiction or whatever else. Um, Aside, you know, it isn't like somebody stealing a painting from somebody who was back in, you know, 50, 60 years ago and so forth and yada yada, you know. It actually is current event uh, situations woven into a fictional story. Like the, the 19-year-old in there, the 15-year-old that gets uh, taken later on in the middle of the book. I mean, so the, these things are happening and it happens to them and they, they know it, they, they hear about it, they see it, you know. And uh, I think that a lot of them I have on social media are liking what I'm doing, and uh, they're all behind it. You know, that they see that I'm not trying to just, you know, um, glorify it or whatever. I'm trying to do a real service uh, through writing an official fictional narrative of the whole situation. Did uh, I just... Oh, I, this is it. I, 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 kind of, I thought this is interesting. Um, you mentioned that Arthur Nakai's favorite beer is Santa Fe Brewing Company. And I'm just wondering, is Jim Bean Honey your favorite in Vibement? Um, I, I, yes, I do have a bottle here, yes, in my desk, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, 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 the old, it's the old Western standby of my roll top desk and a bottle in the drawer, you know. <laughs> you know? Well, also... But, uh, yeah, I mean... Arthur Nakai drinks uh, Santa Fe Nut Brown, you know, and uh, that was one of the things that I, I delved into when I was uh, visiting out there and being out there, and uh, I, I love it. I wish I could get it here, but I can't because it doesn't come anywhere near uh, the Midwest, you know. Mm-hmm. But the next time I'm out there, I'm bringing the case back, you know. <laughs> so, so, Mark, in exploring cultures, you know, I've always been attracted to directors, for instance, of film and authors who do this as well, who explore some of the culture through food. So do you explore Indian tacos and fry bread and and tripe and so on, or? Grilled you... cheese in the morning, that's how he looks what he does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I do, I do focus on the, some things when it's pertinent to the story, you know, there's uh, 
uh, Arthur and Sharon find them they're eating at a, a Mexican restaurant out there, you know, in, San, in uh, uh, Farmington. Uh, that was, had, had great food, you know. <laughs> Remember that, you know. But uh, the, the new book, um, there's a part in there in one of the chapters, in chapter three, where Arthur is talking to the woman who's trying to get him to help find her daughter, and he offers her offers her uh, mutton, you know, and that, that Sharon had made the day before and so forth, and he kind of reheats it up, and the woman tastes it, you know, and tells him how good it is, and she should tell him that it's, she did good because the, the meat was just right and so forth, you know, so I, I do try to, I'm not a, a Robert Parker Spencer kind of thing, making a whole big ornate meal, you know, but um, I do want to delve into that aspect because it's, it's also, it also rounds out the characters, you know, it rounds out the people in there mm-hmm. that that they they do eat this and you know whatever whatever they they do that would fit with what I'm doing in the story uh, is, is a part of that. It's not just going to be you know uh, he's Native American, he's not a whole yeah that's it. There's there's delving into aspects of of his life and Sharon's life that uh, that brings up the history of what they grew up with. Arthur talked about sometimes. Uh, when he was a kid, you know, and a child and teenager and so forth. I mean, it, it's brought up several times in, in all the books uh, with that. So it's a, it's a constant, you know, uh, backstory of, of his life and Sharon's life growing up. Um, but I think the people that read the books, they, they totally enjoy that because they always tell me how, how nice it is that they, they love the characters, they want to see what happens, they cheer for him, they root for him, you know. Um, the, one of the things I thought was really particular to book three is my wife always reads what I write and she goes through there and if she finds things wrong she makes little notations on the page and so forth and then uh, I didn't get much on the third book she kept reading and kept reading and kept reading you know <laughs> and then she told me at the end when she gave it back to me she's like you know this is she's like this is this is the best story you've ever written because it made her laugh mm-hmm. portions. It made her cry. Uh, it made her root and cheer for Arthur to get his job done and find the people, you know, and so forth. And I also wanted to make a point that Arthur, I didn't want him to be like the be-all, end-all, here's the man coming to save the girl, that I wanted to give uh, the 19-year-old a special drive, a special, you know, uh, force within her to want to try to escape. And um, she kind of coerces the 15-year-old and convinces her to go along with it. You know, but I, I wanted her to try. I didn't want her to be a, a quote, female, you know, uh, trapped in this situation. I want her to try to work and, and connive and figure a way out. So I didn't want uh, not to be like a, you know, the, the man coming to save the girl kind of situation. But um, it's everybody every every person in the story has a background has you know things going on and, and it all just for some reason when I wrote this book um, in certain conversations and so forth or situations in there the characters took over I, I had things mapped out chapter by chapter what was going to happen but then as I was writing it they seemed to take control they'll do that yeah. <laughs> well you know yeah. you in your next book Broken Glass uh, was that, have you finished that or are you still moving on on that still working on that because I'm right now uh, I've actually uh, which is great because I've contacted and I'm waiting to hear back uh, with some 
actual closed case files from uh, Albuquerque police and uh, Phoenix police and that a whole uh, police. Uh, I just received back a hundred pages of, uh, I contacted University of New Mexico and their uh, office of the medical investigator and spoke with them and emailed back and forth and they sent me some uh, some closed case files to read because I, I want to Every, every character I write about, I want to make real. I want to make mm-hmm. them a live person. And when these organizations know that I want to, you know, show their person in a, in a good light, you know, and, and sure. respectfully, that they will give me information to use. And I know that when I go through these hundred pages, there's all autopsies and so forth and whatever. Uh, a lot of things are in there that I want to see, and a lot of things that might ghost me out. But still, you know. Exactly. <laughs> well, I understand. But, uh, yeah. I understand. But everything, the... everything, everything works toward that goal of right. making everything real. Hey, we got to finish up our commercial breaks. We're talking with uh, Mark Edward Langley, author of the Nar- author Nakai mystery series. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, and Todd Roberts are here. Doctor Hayes with. Emil Franzi's Voices of the West will be right back. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true West, where a large number of Westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. I'm Miss Wilkinson Investments. They're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hello, I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats, but did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right. It's called Horse and Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. 
your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. Hi, this is Craig Morgan with a special message for all those who have served in the U.S. Army. The National Museum of the United States Army, to be built at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, will include the Soldier's Registry, an electronic record of Americans who have worn the Army uniform, recognizing their service. I've already added my story to the registry. I hope you'll add yours. To learn more and to make your story a permanent part of the National Army Museum, visit armyhistory.org. Coming to you from the great southwestern United States. Yes, sir, This is the Voices of the West. start our own singing group, I think. <laughs> Welcome back to uh, Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. You can be the chief yodeler. Harry <laughs> Alexander, Bunker de France, Todd Roberts. <laughs> and our guest, Mark Edward Langley, and uh, in the waning minutes of the program, let's do some self uh, selfish yes, self-promotion. Yourself. Tell us what's happening. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, right now I'm on board. If you don't on, tell uh, us, we'll make it up. <laughs> there you go, yeah. Uh, this picture is good. <laughs> and uh, Broken Glass is going to be, uh, that's a working title so far for the fourth book um, about the, the scourge of uh, methamphetamine, the uh, crystal meth on the reservation and so forth. Um, and also, uh, I haven't talked about it much, and I won't do much of a giveaway on it, but I'm creating another series. Uh, based in New Mexico with a totally different character um, in central, western central New Mexico. Um, I did uh, want to start uh, doing a different storyline, and I came across, uh, I wanted something different than, you know, I have a, like a, like a Joe Pickett kind of character or a Walt Longmire, I wanted to do something different. I looked in New Mexico for what would be more apropos to use uh, as that character, I found that I made some contacts of uh, the director of one of the organizations and talked to him uh, at great length, and he helped out on a lot of information. So uh, that should be coming maybe a year, year or two down the road, you know, a little bit to be out there uh, with that. Um, anybody wants to find me, they can find me at uh, markeverlangley.com. Markeverlangley.com, one long word there. Um, from there, you can find uh, any of the reviews I've had uh, online. Find uh, uh, book trailers of all the books that, are, that I have right now. All three of those. You can find links to social media accounts that I have. Um, if you're on there, uh, going to the markwardlandy.com. Uh, don't forget to click on members only and become a member uh, of the subscribers there for that, because that will then get you into seeing certain things before anybody else. Snippets uh, to future books that are in there. there you go. All right. Is that book number five? Is that Midnight Harvest? Is that the, is that yes, the I've already I've already written uh, the first two chapters of that as well. And uh, is that also in, uh, deal with the New Mexico Livestock Board? No, um, that's going to be the new series of that. Um, that's fascinating. Midnight Harvest. On, Midnight yeah. Harvest. I'm still working on. 
uh, with that. Uh, I've got an idea for that and what the Midnight Harvest actually will mean. I've got to delve into more information on that situation there. But yeah, the Mexico Livestock Board, that's where I developed uh, the character for the new series of books. Mm -hmm. And um, it would enable him to do what I need that character to do uh, and mingle them back with state police and other organizations uh, in New Mexico with that. So it kind of gives a little uh, insight into that, but uh, I don't want to say too much uh, regarding that. But yeah. It's uh, it was a great conversation I had with the deputy director on that uh, on a Zoom meeting one day. And we emailed back and forth, got a lot of information to start with, and okay. actually got some closed case files from them as well. Excellent. Yeah, they're knee deep in the feral live horse. We are we are plumb out of time, and we got to uh, finish it off here. So, uh, Mark, thank you so much thank for joining you. us thank again, and uh, we're going to have you back, of course. Every book. Love to. Yeah. yeah. All right. Pick up, pick up the conversation. Again. There you go. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> next time we get together, it'll be Movie Saturday out at the White Stallion Ranch, and we're going to talk about the cowboy movies of Dean Martin. <laughs> That's it for this edition. <laughs> so long, everybody. Thanks for listening to Abel Fonsi's Voices of the West.